Chapter Ten of The Boy's Life of Mark Twain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Boy's Life of Mark Twain by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter Ten A Wind of Chance. Orion could not persuade his brother to remain in Muscatine. Sam returned to his old place on the evening news in St. Louis, where he remained until the following year, rooming with a youth named Burrow, a journeyman chairmaker with literary taste, a reader of the English classics, a companionable lad, and for Samuel Clemens a good influence. By spring Orion Clemens had married and had sold out in Muscatine. He was now located in Keokuk, Iowa. When presently Brother Sam came visiting to Keokuk, Orion offered him five dollars a week and his board to remain. He accepted. Henry Clemens, now seventeen, was also in Orion's employ, and a lad named Dick Hingham. Henry and Sam slept in the office. Dick and a young fellow named Brownell, who roomed above, came in for social evenings. They were pretty lively evenings. A music teacher on the floor below did not care for them. They disturbed his class. He was furious, in fact, and assailed the boys roughly at first, with no result but to make matters worse. Then he tried gentleness and succeeded. The boys stopped their capers and joined his class. Sam especially became a distinguished member of that body. He was never a great musician, but with his good nature, his humor, his slow, quaint speech and originality, he had no rival in popularity. He was twenty now, and much with young ladies, yet he was always a beau rather than a suitor, a good comrade to all, full of pranks and pleasantries, ready to stop and be merry with any that came along. If they prophesied concerning his future, it is not likely that they spoke of literary fame. They thought him just easy-going and light-minded. True, they noticed that he often carried a book under his arm, a history, a volume of Dickens, or the tales of Poe. He read more than any one guessed. At night, propped up in bed, a habit continued until his death, he was likely to read until a late hour. He enjoyed smoking at such times, and had made himself a pipe with a large bowl which stood on the floor and had a long rubber stem, something like the Turkish hubble-bubble. He liked to fill the big bowl and smoke at ease through the entire evening. But sometimes the pipe went out, which meant that he must strike a match and lean far over to apply it, just when he was most comfortable. Sam Clemens never liked unnecessary exertion. One night, when the pipe had gone out for the second time, he happened to hear the young book clerk, Brownell, passing up to his room on the top floor. Sam called to him, "'Ed, come here!' Brownell poked his head in the door. The two were great chums. "'What will you have, Sam?' he asked. "'Come in, Ed.' Henry's asleep, and I'm in trouble. I want somebody to light my pipe. Why don't you light it yourself? Brownell asked. I would, only I knew you'd be along in a few minutes and would do it for me. Brownell scratched a match, stooped down, and applied it. What are you reading, Sam? Oh, nothing much. A so-called funny book. One of these days I'll write a funnier book myself. Brownell laughed. No, you won't, Sam, he said. You're too lazy ever to write a book. Years later, in the course of a lecture which he delivered in Keokuk, Mark Twain said that he supposed the most untruthful man in the world lived right there in Keokuk, and that his name was Ed Brownell. Orion Clemens did not have the gift of prosperity, and his printing office did not flourish. 
when he could no longer pay sam's wages he took him into partnership which meant that sam got no wages at all though this was of less consequence since his mother now living with pamela was well provided for the disorder of the office however distressed him he wrote home that he could not work without system and a little later that he was going to leave keokuk that in fact he was planning a great adventure a trip to the upper amazon his interest in the Amazon had been awakened by a book. Lynch and Herndon had surveyed the upper river, and Lieutenant Herndon's book was widely read. Sam Clemens, propped up in bed, pored over it through long evenings, and nightly made fabulous fortunes collecting coca and other rare things, resolving meantime to start in person for the upper Amazon with no unnecessary delay. Boy and man, Samuel Clemens was the same— his vision of grand possibilities ahead blinded him to the ways and means of arrival. It was an inheritance from both sides of his parentage. Once in old age he wrote, I have been punished many and many a time, and bitterly, for doing things and reflecting afterward. When I am reflecting on these occasions, even deaf persons can hear me think. He believed, however, that he had reflected carefully concerning the Amazon, and that in a brief time he should be there at the head of an expedition, piling up untold wealth. He even stirred the imaginations of two other adventurers, a Dr. Martin and a young man named Ward. To Henry, then in St. Louis, he wrote August 5, 1856, Ward and I held a long consultation Sunday morning, and the result was that we too have determined to start to brazil if possible in six weeks from now in order to look carefully into matters there and report to dr martin in time for him to follow on the first of march the matter of finance troubled him orion could not be depended on for any specified sum and the fare to the upper amazon would probably be considerable sam planned different methods of raising it one of them was to go to New York or Cincinnati and work at his trade until he saved the amount. He would then sail from New York direct, or take boat for New Orleans and sail from there. Of course, there would always be vessels clearing for the upper Amazon. After Lieutenant Herndon's book, the ocean would probably be full of them. He did not make the start with Ward as planned, and Ward and Martin seemed to have given up the Amazon idea. Not so with Samuel Clemens. He went on reading Herndon, trying meantime to raise money enough to get him out of Keokuk. Was it fate or providence that suddenly placed it in his hands? Whatever it was, the circumstance is so curious that it must be classed as one of those strange facts that have no place in fiction. The reader will remember how, one day in Hannibal, the wind had brought to Sam Clemens, then printer's apprentice, a stray leaf from a book about Joan of Arc, and how that incident marked a turning-point in his mental life. Now, seven years later, it was the wind again that directed his fortune. It was a day in early November, bleak, bitter, and gusty, with whirling snow. Most persons were indoors. Samuel Clemens, going down Main Street, Keokuk, saw a flying bit of paper pass him and lodge against a building. Something about it attracted him, and he captured it. It was a fifty-dollar bill. He had never seen one before, but he recognized it. He thought he must be having a pleasant dream. He was tempted to pocket his good fortune and keep still. But he had always a troublesome conscience. He went to a newspaper office and advertised that he had found a sum of money, a large bill. 
Once, long after, he said, I didn't describe it very particularly, and I waited in daily fear that the owner would turn up and take away my fortune. By and by I couldn't stand it any longer. My conscience had gotten all that was coming to it. I felt that I must take that money out of danger. Another time he said, I advertised the find, and left for the Amazon the same day. All of which we may take with his usual literary discount, the one assigned to him by his mother in childhood. As a matter of fact, he remained for an ample time, and nobody came for the money. What was its origin? Was it swept out of a bank, or caught up by the wind from some counting-room table? Perhaps it materialized out of the unseen. Who knows? End of chapter 10